All right, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Barely, just barely. So in December, we released the shocking results of a poll we conducted with Rasmussen showing a staggering one in five mail-in voters admitted to committing at least one form of voter fraud. The results exposed a massive problem in our current voting laws, but the question remained, how did this fraud affect the outcome of the election, if it did at all? Well, we just released a new report that analyzes the findings of this poll and factors them into various election scenarios to show who would have won the election in 2020 if that fraud was eliminated. Brace yourselves because these results are going to blow your mind. We're going to be talking about all this and more on episode 435 of the In the Tank podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, we'll see who we've got. We've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? And you are muted. You better correct that before you start talking. Oh, boy. See, I almost did an, I almost pulled a gym, which makes sense since I'm Jim. So, <laughs> fair, uh, fair. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm in a little bit of a cranky mood, which, uh, you know, it was about 50-50 <laughs> for me on this show. So, you know, there's uh, we'll talk about it in the opening chit-chat about the uh, the man versus Stein climate change trial. But that's kind of got me a little bit, a little bit blue. Oh, there's an update. I wonder. I wonder. We also have Chris Talgo. Are you are you there, Chris Talgo, <laughs> editorial director at the Heartland Institute? Donnie, what's wrong with your desk? Can you learn how to like actually like put wires into like the proper outlet? Because I'm sitting here, everything's like going swell, like normal, and then all of a sudden everything just goes black. So 30 seconds before the show. Yeah, Donnie, seriously. Uh, I don't control the electricity. I don't uh okay. I don't control, you know, the power flows. So can't blame me. And we also that's right. Yeah. Fair and research fellow for the Socialism Research Center, Center and research editor for the Heartland Institute. Jack, you are muted too. Don't pull a gym. How's it going, good sir? I'm pretty good, Donnie. Uh, yeah, I mean, Chris. Normally, I would happily uh, jump on the bandwagon and blame Donnie, but all you had to do was press a button for five seconds. <laughs> no, yeah, we, because, solved, we because, solved all the issues in two minutes. No, but. because Donnie, the light, the light is still not working on your desk. So sorry. Yeah, well, maybe it was the light's fault. That's that's what we do around here. We blame the lights. Before we get going, we have a lot to talk about. I do have to put that message out there for our audio-only listeners that are listening probably on iTunes and probably a day later that you can, uh, first off, leave a review for us on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. And you can also join us a day earlier where we are live streaming this live. That's redundant. At Thursdays at noon Central Time on Facebook and YouTube and X and Rumble. You can join the conversation, throw your comments in the chat. Your questions, maybe. We'll show your comment on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You support the show by hitting that super chat functionality. We got that enabled if you want to guarantee that your question or comment is read on air. Or if you want, you can support the show just by doing a couple of things that only cost a couple of seconds, like hitting the like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video. All these things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. But yes, as Jim mentioned in his intro, uh, this is the final days. Maybe it is already the final day of the Michael Mann versus Mark Stein trial that's going on. It's been referred to as the climate trial of the century. Should be wrapping up pretty soon. Closing arguments took place yesterday. Jim, you know way more about this than I do. Uh, what What has got you down about this trial? Well... If anybody was anybody, and I know a lot of the listeners were following this case pretty closely, and uh, a lot of the viewers of this show are also fans on our main channel, the Heartland Institute channel uh, on YouTube, and the uh, Climate Change Roundtable show that we do on Fridays at noon Central Time, 1 p.m. Eastern. And we've been covering this trial um, wall to wall on that channel and on that show. 
So anybody who's been watching that show or watching the trial should know, and and because it's obvious that this case should never even gone to the jury. They're they're deliberating right now. I actually have the window open for the courtroom here on an iPad, just in case they come up with a verdict. Um, and one could be coming today. But Michael Mann is suing um, Mark Stein, author and uh, uh, television commentator Mark Stein, and um, a guy named Rand Sinberg, who used to be with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, suing them because he didn't like um, their blog posts that, um, you know, called his hockey stick a fraud, that said that the investigation, the so-called investigation that Penn State did of his shoddy academic work was as much of a whitewash as the Jerry Sandusky investigation, uh, which for which um, the president of the university and several others at Penn State uh, went to jail for covering up a uh, serial uh, pedophile, as Mark Stein mentioned several times. He likes saying that word. He likes saying that word to Michael Mann and likes saying it a lot of times in sentences around the words Michael Mann, which I thought was a lot was a lot of fun in the closing arguments yesterday. But Michael Mann didn't come close to proving his case, and that's he as the plaintiff. That is the burden that he holds is that uh, he has to prove that he was defamed, that there was malicious intent, that it harmed him professionally and uh, financially. It, it wasn't remotely was that standard met. And yet the judge um, did not, after several motions, to uh, dismiss the case and find in favor of uh, Stein and Simberg, uh, refused to do so, declined to do so, I guess a better way to say it, and gave it to a jury, a, D a jury in Washington, D.C., um, which I'm sorry, I just don't have a lot of uh, faith in uh, Washington, D.C. juries. I don't think a lot of listeners to this podcast and viewers have that as well. You just have to look at, uh, you know, what's happened from that one day in January and all those people that the FBI rounded up uh, and threw in jail. So uh, this never should have been to the, to the jury. I mean, they're still deliberating. Um, I, I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. But and another thing that's kind of depressing is that um, Finally, the Washington Post and New York Times decided to report on this case, and the tone of their coverage is ridiculous. They they are acting like this is a case of just some poor, innocent, nice, kindly professor who is under constant attack and threats from climate deniers. And uh, you know, so maybe you know he should definitely win this case because you know that would be a, a you know a, a real blow for science, or it'd be great for science if he was to win this, when actually the opposite is true. Um, so, you know, tune in tomorrow at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 uh, p.m. Central Time on the regular, uh, the main Heartland Institute YouTube channel. We're going to be covering it extensively there. But I, I just don't think uh, th this trial has taken a great physical and financial toll on Mark Stein, who is a fantastic individual. Um, and a friend of, of the Heartland Institute, he's spoken at our events in the past, uh, and he's had three heart attacks. He's in a wheelchair. I mean, this has really kind of destroyed his life. And now uh, the fate of this is in the hands of a jury in Washington, D.C. Um, and yeah, like I said, that doesn't give me a lot of hope. But, you know, uh, maybe we'll be surprised. Maybe there's a great result coming pretty soon. I would hope and, so. And just, and just to, you know, counter a couple of things that you're saying, just a, a note from our lawyers. Uh, Michael Mann <laughs> is a wonderful academic. And he's got uh, just everything going for him. Uh, he's one of the smartest people and one of the most handsome people that I've ever met. Uh, so, you know, with those notes out of the way, Michael, man, don't sue us for anything Jim said on our podcast. Let me, let, right. me just, let, me just, let me just say one last thing about it. And the, the, the one good thing that's come out of this trial is that it is exposed on the public record for everyone to see what a really nasty human being that Michael Mann truly is. All of these emails that he had that were put into evidence where he is attacking other scientists, he's he's such a sensitive little snowflake that any criticism at all of any of his work, and he pulls out the flamethrowers and just tries to destroy people's lives and careers. And he's actually succeeded in destroying some, some uh, careers of people who are just critical of his work. So that has all been exposed in the public, in the public sphere. And that is great. And that's something that he's really never going to be able to walk away from. So um, regardless of the outcome of the trial, uh, Michael Mann being a real nasty piece of business and an a-hole of the highest order is now on the public record. Yeah. You know, I would also give him an A, an A plus because yeah, Michael Mann, know. you... No, you're going down with me, Don. You know, when, they, when, they, when he sues the Heartland Institute, you're going down with me. So, no, let the record show that I think that you know, I, I, 
I, I think that he could be, you know, the next cover of Maxim. I mean, just look at that picture. What, yeah. a, what a handsome gentleman. Handsome fella. So, all right. All right. So, yes, it's been covered extensively on our Climate Change Roundtable show that is also live at noon central time on Fridays on Heartland's main channel. And hopefully the verdict will be in by the time that they do their show tomorrow. And we can put a little nice end cap on their kind of what's four episode kind of long coverage of this of this uh of this trial so if you're interested in that make sure to tune in tomorrow to climate change roundtable all right let's get to it we're our, we started late we got a big topic to cover um so let's let's jump right into it so recall if you will how in december of last year the heartland institute and rasmussen reports released a poll which revealed a shocking number of mail-in voters admitted to committing at least one form of voter fraud during the 2020 elections. These shocking results went viral. We got uh, more attention as an organization than we've gotten, at least in my time here at the Heartland Institute. Uh, many news outlets and basically every conservative talk radio show out there featured our poll results. Our internal tracking systems, Andy, Estimated a potential reach of 800 million people had seen uh, our, our poll results. Donald Trump posted about the results on his true social, calling it the biggest story of the year. Trump talked about it at rallies. I can go on and on and on. The story spread far and wide. Since this attention, we've been working on an analysis of the poll results, extrapolating the findings against the results of the 2020 election itself to see how the outcome of the election would have looked if the suspected fraud were excluded. Like I said uh, at the beginning of this, uh, the intro of this podcast, the results are pretty mind-blowing. So we're going to go through the entire report, just kind of walking our way through it all. And this is the thing that we've been kind of teasing the last couple of episodes. It finally came out. We released it officially on Tuesday. So if you go to the heartland.org website, you'll see a big uh, featured image at the top if you want to click and download and go through the report yourself. But uh, first question, Jack, uh, you were the primary author of this article. For anyone that's looking at the report, they'll see that one of the starting percentages that we used in the paper was 28% of fraud, which is well above the one in five mail-in voter fraud stat that we've been reporting since the poll results. Can you explain why we started at this 28% number? Sure. Yeah. So we reported on the one in five number and came to that number after the poll was released because um, basically we asked four different questions about fraud and the highest percentage for one of those questions was our floor. We didn't ask a question that um, that queried the respondents as to whether they committed one of the four kinds mm -hmm. of fraud. We just asked specific questions about specific types. And so what I was able to do is, is take Rasmussen's uh, raw polling numbers and calculate via some fairly complex mechanisms um, that 28.2% of all mail-in respondents actually admitted to at least one of the four types of fraud, usually more than one, but at least one. Right, right. Yeah. Because when we talked about it, um, because like, you know, one of the questions uh, is like 20, 21% said that they voted in the state that they no longer live in. And another one says 18% of people said that they signed a ballot or had a ballot signed on their behalf with or without permission or something. And it's like yeah. those two things could have completely coexisted <laughs> and you would still have a 21% overall. Or if the uh, the overlap of those two levels of fraud weren't perfect, then I don't know, it could be much higher. So when we were originally reporting that like 20% number at the beginning, we knew that it was likely lowballing the actual real number. We just didn't know uh, up until, you know, Jack did, uh, you know, got the, the raw results and and figured it out. We didn't know how much lowballing it was. It turns out it was pretty significant <laughs> because as we found out, that the people that uh, did at least one form of fraud turns out to be 28%. So even north of one in four, which is, uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, so I guess we could just jump right into the results. Um, Jack, can you just kind of briefly walk us through how you went about applying these numbers to the 2020 election? You don't have to go through all of the results yet, but just kind of walk us through the I guess the methodology of, of the, of the report. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the methodology was fairly 
complex and comprehensive. So I won't get into all the details, but to do this, we had to select the states we were going to analyze. So we selected the six swing states that Joe Biden won in 2020 by razor thin margins. Um, we didn't include North Carolina because Trump won that state and because we knew that um, the Joe Biden uh, voters voted by mail at a much higher percentage than uh, Trump voters voted by mail. So any degree of fraud was likely to uh, benefit Biden to a much greater degree than it benefited Trump. Right. And um, that was sort of the, the basis, of course, for this for this whole paper. And so we did have to make a number of assumptions in the paper, such as that, you know, that the voter fraud occurred at identical rates among Trump and uh, Biden mail-in voters, not, not in terms of total, like, uh, numbers of fraud, but at identical, like, uh, rates between those groups. Mm -hmm. We also had to assume that the total amount of fraud was, uh, you know, equal across all the states that we looked at in terms of the fraud percentage, not in terms of the fraud numbers. But we, you can look into the paper for for all the assumptions that we used. Together, gathering the data was a little bit more complicated because, interestingly enough, most states that we looked at uh, don't actually publish the 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 number of um, mail-in ballots that were counted or they don't publish uh, the total number of mail-in ballots that were counted for each candidate. So we had to go and uh, so of the six states that we looked at, which were Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania, thank you. Um, only Georgia and Pennsylvania published those those numbers that we that we needed, mm. and so to to get the rest of the data, we had to we had to dig into various other statements made by secretaries of state, and we also had to rely on extensive exit polling analyses uh, that was conducted by the Associated Press and the uh, the Nork Center in Chicago, which is a public opinion polling center um and they they had a massive sample size and we were able to take the percentages that they found uh and apply them to the uh, total number of mail-in ballots mm -hmm. and uh yeah what well, that was that was the basis for the uh for the methodology right and then, so yeah. so we go through find out all of the the who you know who what were the numbers for the the mail-in ballots of all of these different swing states and then apply this 28 percent level of fraud subtract that amount from each of those to come up with like the jim you came up with what was like secured vote or something like that you came up with the term for it um but uh that and that that was the way right so then what was the actual the end result so like like Jack was saying swing states that we are looking at in this report, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin shows that if you were to take away those potentially fraudulent votes at a rate of 28%, that uh, Trump would have won each and every one of those swing states, and he would have taken the entire election uh, to the tune of 311 electoral votes to Biden's 227 and 80 four electoral vote uh, margin of victory for Donald Trump in that scenario. So then the report would be interesting if it just ended there. But I think the absolute genius part of this report was basically what we did next. So this is my my favorite part of the paper. So uh, uh, obviously, with all the attention our poll received, um, you know, it comes with a number of naysayers arguing with one reason or another, that the results of the poll might have been too high. You know, did you account for this? Did you account for that? Uh, how about this or that, et cetera, et cetera? And this is, like I said, the genius of the paper. So let's assume that those naysaying people are right. Let's assume that the poll results did overstate the reality of the situation in terms of fraudulent mail-in ballots. What if it wasn't 28%? What if it was only 25%? You know, we all know that there's some margin of error when it comes to any type of polling. So what if it was less than 28? What if it was 25%? What, what if it was only 20% uh, instead of the original number that you reported? What, what if it was even lower than that? What if it was 14%? Well, we ran all of those scenarios from the 28% level all the way down to the 14% level of fraud. In each one of those cases, whatever level percentage uh, in between those two numbers, Trump still wins 
every single one of those swing states. Uh, and again, that's a, uh, at a margin of 311 electoral votes to 227 for, for Biden. But then, OK, how about this? Well, what if 14 percent is still overstating the fraud? Well, we ran the scenarios on 13 percent, 12 percent, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 percent level of fraud. What if it wasn't 28 percent? What if it was just 6 percent? Well, we ran all of these scenarios and in all of those scenarios, Trump wins four of the six swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, giving Trump the Electoral College lead of 289 votes to Biden's 249. So even if the poll results, uh, you know, which showed admitted fraud, were overstated by that degree, like 400% degree... <laughs> The fraud still shows that it was enough to potentially tip the election towards one particular candidate. Uh, we've got more in the, the report to get to, but I just want to have J Jim jump in here. Uh, I mean, down to 6% level of fraud, still showing that, that Trump would have won. I mean, that is pretty newsworthy headline. What do you think, Jim? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Jack, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think we ran 29 different uh, levels of fraud scenarios and Donald Trump won in uh, 26 of them. Yeah. You could call yeah. it 27 because at 4% at and 3%, it's a tie. Um, 269 to 269 and, th and then the uh, election would have been thrown to the house of representatives with um and trump would have won a vote there to decide the presidency that hasn't been done in uh, 180 years or something like that maybe longer so um yeah when when you run 29 different fraud scenarios the levels of fraud scenarios and let's be clear uh, on something here this was not the most safe and secure election in American history. <laughs> and that's what this uh, this polling results that we released in December and this report also shows. And don't be gaslit with that nonsense. It's not true. It is not possible that the that the that the election was absolutely perfect. In fact, one of my favorite parts of the of the study um, that we did, led by Jack McFerrin here on the podcast, was looking at the um at the spoiled rate of of ballots, right? So in every election, um, you guys, you guys remember the 2000 election? Remember, remember them looking at the, is this Chad? Is that Chad hanging? Is it dimpled? Does that really count as a vote? Um, when that happens, uh, you know what? This, 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 uh, this ballot is spoiled. We're going to throw it away. We can't count it. Um, so there are, there are thousands. There's, there's many votes, unfortunately, that are, that are filled out wrong. There's something wrong with them. They can't really count them. So they throw them out. And, as Jack was looking through this and doing crunching the numbers, I believe it was in the state of Wisconsin, only 0.23% of all the mail-in ballots that were submitted in Wisconsin were thrown out for being for being wrong, for having errors on them. That is impossible. That has that is just not the way it works. The numbers that you can usually put the numbers on maybe one or even two hands, um, but hopefully only one in, in spoiled ballots had to be thrown away. So this was not the most secure election in American history. The the fraud the fraud rate was not zero. You know, if you don't if you don't if you don't feel comfortable saying that the fraud rate self admitted by voters was twenty eight percent or twenty five percent, it wasn't zero. And if it was anything above three uh, percent, then Joe Biden, uh, you know, maybe he's not the you know the legitimately elected president of the United States. And when you when that the point of this study is to get this stuff, oh, I almost swore again, fixed. We have broken elections in this country. We have probably the worst and least secure elections of any modern democracy anywhere in the world. And we have to sit here and, talk and get lectured by our government that this was the safest, most secure election in American history. Bullshit. This study proves that. So even if you don't want to buy widespread voter fraud or mistakes, and this doesn't even get into ballot harvesting, and, um, you know, ballot drop box stuffing and mailing ballots to dead people and collecting those or filling out seven ballots that you got mailed to your house because you're the fourth renter in, in five years at that place. It doesn't account for any of that. It just accounts for the for the legit. This is actually treating all mail in ballots as legitimate, which also we know isn't true. And so that's what's so important about this. If this isn't a wake up call for our state's legislatures, especially to get this stuff fixed because you do not have a country when you run elections like this, you have something else 
but it's not it's not our precious democracy and it's certainly not a a, a functioning free uh, you know representative republic which is what we think we live in but we don't hey, Donnie, let me just add something to what jim said earlier um the very very low 0.79 percent rejection rate did not just happen fortuitously it happened because states went out of their way to make that happen jim as you know uh they <clears throat> got rid of the guardrails that had been in place for decades whether it's signature verification uh like you like you alluded to when they just mailed uh tens of millions of ballots based on terrible outdated you know inaccurate state voter registration rolls. They did this on purpose and there was an agenda here and it was to try to get as many uh, mail-in votes uh, into the system as possible because they're less secure. There's no chain of custody. And once they're out, they're just out. Uh, we saw ballot drop boxes. We saw you know ballot harvesting. All the tricks in the book were uh, taken into play in 2020. And what it led to was a, uh, you know, a mass amount of mail-in ballots being fraudulently cast, whether that was happening purposefully or whether that happened because states intentionally uh, tried to make it so that people could commit voter fraud uh, more easily. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I was going to go to you next uh, anyways, but I mean, the, the, the I think these results are like pretty crazy. I mean, we speculated about about, you know, what this level of fraud would be, you know, the 20 percent, knowing that uh Biden got way more mail-in votes than uh, than Donald Trump, and and we speculated about like what that would mean if we applied it to the election. And then when we actually saw the results, we saw all the scenarios run, and it shows that like you know from twenty percent all the way down to six percent of fraud uh, showed Donald Trump winning outright. I mean, how shocked were you when you when you saw these results? I wasn't shocked because this just uh, reinforced what I thought was happening in the months, weeks, days, hours, even even on election day when I saw this happening in real time. Uh, I've watched, you know, many, many elections in my life, and I've never seen something that like that happened in 2020, where you had uh, in Georgia, they just stopped counting votes. There was this, this, this pipe that burst, supposedly. Uh, in Pennsylvania, in, in Philadelphia, we saw uh, trucks coming in hours after the election, after the, the deadline. And uh, just giant, giant amounts of uh, mail-in ballots just appearing. So it's just like, I think most Americans intuitively knew at the time that this did not pass the smell test. And now that the, uh, now that we have the receipts, you know, three years later, and when you, uh, when you also apply the fact that in, in the poll, there was no reason for these people to lie whatsoever, that they just admitted, hey, yeah, the I did A, B, and C, uh, you know, election fraud in 2020, and nothing's going to happen about it. Uh, but Tony, what this really, um, you know, matters, you know, I, why I think this matters is we cannot allow what happened in 2020 to become the new normal. We mm -hmm. cannot allow the media to to, like Jim said, gaslight us into believing that mail-in voting is the way it's always been. We've always done it this way. No, 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 no. This was a complete one off. And we have to make sure that it remains a one off. And I'm sure we'll get into that later. But I ask that, that that's what I'm really, you know, focusing on here. We've got, you know, a couple months until. Uh, early voting is going to be starting up again soon. And uh, a lot of states are still in a very bad position in terms of their election uh, laws. And I'm sure we will discuss that uh, in more in depth later. Oh, yeah. No, we definitely will. There's definitely a, a policy uh, prescription section of the paper. Jim, you were going to say something? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to share with the audience that um, before the before we came on the air today, uh, Chris asked me to come over to his desk and he said, you know, hey, this is probably going to blow up, you know, uh, nuke our channel. You know, can we can we say what what we should say here? Oh and you know, I've already yelled it into the into the microphone a few times already. <laughs> but it's like, you know, what's interesting is that our original poll in December, as you noted at the top of the podcast, Donnie, got enormous press coverage. It was everywhere. It was the, one of the biggest splashes that uh, Heartland has ever made <laughs> um, with one of our activities, one of our projects, one of our things that we do to um, benefit and educate the public, which is what that poll was part of. Then we, and we thought, you know what, this, when we, when we take the time to crunch the numbers and really dig down and do it very carefully and collect um, statistics and information from the states and apply them here and stretch it out. You know, we, we had lots of discussions about how we, we should go about this. And we did it very carefully, very thoroughly and 
quadruple checked it all the time just to make sure that this had to be on point. And when we released it on Tuesday, we thought, all right, let's get ready. This is a big bond. This is going to make a huge splash, man. This is going to be a big deal. Um, not even the, to be honest, and this is very disappointing, not even very many in the conservative media are touching this. Mm-hmm. And it's because um, being labeled an election denier um, is well, way worse than being called a climate denier, for one. But it is something that not even a lot of people that are in the more popular conservative media will touch. And, you know, and why would they? You know, there were some people who showed up at the Capitol um, one uh, cool January morning. And a lot of them are in jail. And those people are called election deniers. And, you know, right, right from the so so a lot of people are not touching this. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Um, maybe we'll lose our YouTube channel. I'm sure that they will. I'm c- quite confident they're going to take this down at some point because we had talked about this in the, in the past. Remember, Donnie, we talked about that Time Magazine story about how all of these um, very well-funded leftist groups coordinated with Democrats to, quote unquote, fortify the election. They laid it all out. And uh, we talked about that. And that video got um, deleted by YouTube. So this one might is might as well. So everybody watching this, please share and like and leave comments because we have to break through this algorithm and get this in front of as many people as you can as quickly as possible because uh it may not last very long. But that that's why this is really a very touchy subject. Not even people on the right are willing to be labeled an election denier. Well, you know what? I'm not an election denier. I just have some questions about it. And this study shows that everybody should have a lot of questions about it because I remember during uh you know when it was happening I wanted some I wanted some explanations and some answers, right? You know, right. it's like, hey, how did how did uh all of these ballots show up at three in the morning and 95% of them are for one candidate, that being Joe Biden? Can you explain that to me, please? I would like an explanation. Nope, you're an election denier. I'm not telling you nothing. And this has happened over and over and over again. None of the none of these questions that people legitimately would have about what they saw with their own eyes during the election. Almost none of them have any answers and they don't even attempt to answer them. And so th- yeah. so we are fighting back against this stupid label of election denier. Look at this. Look at the study. Read it. It's very easy to get through. And um, it really tells you that there was something fishy going on because the level of fraud was not zero. It's never zero. And it's mm-hmm. certainly with all of these mail-in ballots was a lot higher than on, on, in a normal election. And like Chris said, that's got to stop. We have to. We, that cannot be the new normal. We have to fix this. We have to have elections that count and matter. Because if you don't have confidence in the election, you don't have a country. D- Donnie, yeah. can, can I just add something real quick to that? Yes. Thanks. Thanks. So uh, first of all, a, in the introduction to the paper, we go into exquisite detail about how in the lead up to 2020, the years leading up to 2020, uh, much of these liberal uh, places, whether it was the New York Times or you know a bunch of uh, institutions, came out and said, you know, mail-in balloting is really dangerous. It's you know rife with fraud. We should only you know do it uh, for people who cannot actually make it to the voting booth. So there's that. I also think that it's very important to uh, remind uh, viewers and listeners that uh, Europe has completely uh, outlawed uh, mail-in balloting because they know how how uh, you know rife with fraud it is. And second and thirdly. Um, little sneak pre- uh, sneak preview here. Uh, I'm working on uh, a piece, and uh, one of the things I started to look into was uh, confidence in American elections uh, from a partisan perspective. In 2018, across the board, it was like 90% of Democrats, 90% of, of uh, Republicans thought that the American elections were administered fairly. They were very confident. Guess what? After 2020, that uh, schism has grown you know, remarkably. Now, 90% of of Democrats believe that U.S. elections are on the up and up, and especially that mail-in bailing is on the up and up. And we got the exact opposite occurring among uh, GOP supporters, where they're saying, we don't trust in elections, and we very much do not trust in uh, mail-in voting. Why does this matter? Because if you've got a country where half the people say, we don't trust the results of the elections, that's a that's a recipe for chaos. It's happened before all throughout history. What made the United States so great, in my opinion, one of the things was that we've always had transitions of power that were generally accepted by the people. If that is not the new, you know, like the way that we are going to uh, proceed going forward, well, then revolution and instability and, you know, the, the domestic tranquility that we have had for two centuries now, you can just kiss that goodbye. Mm-hmm. Elections matter. The people have to have confidence and trust 
that the elections are being counted fairly. If yeah. now you've got one side of the aisle saying we don't trust in the elections and one side saying we completely trust in elections because they probably are going to benefit us more than the other side. Uh, that is not good. That is really dangerous stuff. We do not want to go down this road. And we are literally like, you know, right at that fork in the road. Yeah. You know, so uh, jumping around a little bit, um, uh, cause I was planning on talking about this uh, a little bit later, but, but Jim, you started bringing it up. So I want to kind of elaborate on some of the, some of the points that you were making about just how, you know, our poll results, our original poll results back in December, like went viral beyond our wildest ex expectations. And, and this paper so far, as, as Jim mentioned, uh, has not made nearly as big of a splash uh, as the initial poll results. And, and don't get me wrong, like we've gotten some attention. We've gotten some media interview requests. There's been a few stories run. Donald Trump already shared it on Truth Social. Great things to be sure. But it definitely didn't like light the, the news cycle on fire like our initial polls did. And that left us kind of speculating why. And there was plenty of potential reasons. Maybe the timing of our release was a bit off. Maybe there was a perception by some in the media that, yeah, didn't we cover this already back in December? Who knows? However, we did get a little bit of an insight uh, into the thinking of one prominent person. I won't mention his or her name. But uh, a guy we know knows a guy or girl with a large following on social media. And we brought the report to this person's attention. And that person said, uh, uh, or we said, like, hey, you know, this would be great to share with your audience. We think your audience would love this. And apparently this person's response was essentially, hey, the report is awesome. Uh, I'd love to talk about it. But the last time I posted about this sort of stuff in regards to the legitimacy of the 2020 election, my account was banned for months. So I'd love to talk about it, but sorry, can't. And this is like the chilling effect in full force. Like the report might be great. The methodology and the data might be perfect. The conclusions might be incredibly important for the country, but the censors might punish me. So I can't take that chance. Donnie, I'm not going to talk about this. I, I'm going to I'm going to add just uh, an update to that. Uh, one of the uh, outlets, which will remain nameless, uh, who is a very friendly outlet to us and has published lots of our content, and some of it is the controversial content. They even turned this one down, is which right? left me very shocked. Wow. They yeah. even said we can't touch it because, like you said, this is a taboo topic and the chilling effect is in effect. Yeah, yes. no, it's 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 pretty crazy. But, Jim, I mean, this has got to be playing a pretty substantial role in the subdued coverage of the report, right? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, but the, this report exists. It will continue ex to exist. We will have it on our website and people can read it and distribute it. They can do whatever they like with it. Um, apparently, the media is not that interested in it. And I think it's exactly for that reasons that, uh, you know, when even a a pretty right wing outlet that you are published in all the time says, nope, sorry. Not going to do it. That was that, that was pretty shocking. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe not that shocking. I mean, this this actually remind it doesn't this remind people of COVID? Like you you weren't allowed to say things that that were actually logical and made sense, um, and then you would be censored and banned. Um, you know, the chilling effect on speech is real. That's why the people in power do it. <laughs> That's why they make examples out of people so that the next guy won't talk. That you will self censor. But, you know, exactly. we need to be able to talk about these issues. That's one of the best things that our poll results did in December was that and it, this was true. It allowed people to talk about it again because it was absolutely you could not talk about it. But when a poll comes out showing that one in five voters or one in four um, self-admitted to some sort of voter fraud, I think you need to talk about that. So at least we have the conversation where we can we can speak about this issue because it's important. Our you know, as the left and the media like to say, our democracy is at stake. You're going to hear that a lot in the next several months. That's all Biden's message is going to be, is that our we need to elect Joe Biden to save our democracy. Actually, we need to fix this crummy election system to save our democracy. And um, it just so happens that there's that the ruling class and the Democratic Party seems to have no interest at all in, in, in having a secure, safe and trustworthy election system. I wonder why that is. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, I want to go uh, back to the paper because uh, there was a point that, that Chris made a little bit earlier um, where he was kind of talking about how we just want to like ensure that this like doesn't happen again. Right. Like we don't necessarily want to just focus 
uh, on the past, relitigate the 2020 elections, you know, be perceived as crying over spilt milk. Like we need to look at what happens, learn from the past so that we can fix stuff in the future. So what we made sure to do with this paper was to include a whole policy uh, um, you know, prescription section, right? Like what, what are things that we can do so that next time around we don't see levels of fraud uh, that could swing an election, which we know could be as small as like three or 4%. So can you just kind of walk us through maybe a couple of the policies that were discussed in here? Sure, I have yeah. some of them in front of me. If you want me to read it, I don't know if you've got your the paper. Yeah, no, I've got it in front of me too. I mean, generally speaking, mail-in uh, voting should be widely um, stopped, if at all possible, in in every state. Obviously, there will be certain situations in which somebody has to vote by mail, um, but it, generally speaking, it should be significantly curtailed. Uh, more specifically, yes, like like we have in the paper, we have it split between proactive policies and preventative policies. Some of the proactive policies are that states should update and verify election registration rolls annually. States should require identification to vote in person, voter ID laws. States should encourage in-person voting, like I already said. States should require a witness or a notary signature on all mail-in ballots. States should minimize mail-in voting by requiring a valid excuse to cast a ballot by mail. That would go a long way. And, you know, those in addition to other preventative policies like outlawing ballot harvesting, uh, forbidding unattended and unsecure election drop boxes, requiring signature verification, and of course not relaxing those signature verification requirements in the months leading up to an election, um, establishing agencies to investigate claims of election law violations, and passing laws that actually impose harsh penalties for those who commit voter fraud. If, if states were to enact most, if not all, of those policies, that would go a long way because I mean, remember, if even if our poll overestimated uh, the amount of mail-in ballot fraud by a factor of seven, right. have still won the twenty twenty election. That means that if even one seventh of the mail-in ballot fraud that we found were actually prevented, Donald Trump would have won the twenty twenty election. This is a real problem, obviously, like you guys have already talked about. And apart from the things that you've already mentioned, what it could also lead to is a significant amount of disinterest in actually voting, which is what happens in, you know, autocracies, places like Russia that, yes, have elections nominally, but a very small percentage of the population votes. And it's only those who are, of course, in support of Vladimir Putin's agenda. Now, I'm not here to suggest that we're quite at the level of Russia, but we are at a pretty bad level. And I think it was like, like you said earlier, Jim, you know, we have one of the worst and least secure election systems of any advanced democracy. Why is that? We have the ability to make them secure. So we just need to do it. And of course, there is an agenda to keep them insecure because it benefits those people that are currently in power. But states need to stand up and they need to make their well, election system secure. Jack, I mean, uh, based on the attention that our original poll got and, and you know, the even the attention that this paper is getting, uh, especially with the poll, just overwhelming response. Do you think that there is like a mandate for or at least a, a large enough uh, outcry from the public for there to be a mandate on state legislatures to do something uh, about the perceived broken voting system that we have now? I think so, but people really need to contact their legislators directly. I mean, sometimes legislators don't operate in the interests of their constituents, unfortunately, on, on a wide variety of issues. And, and people really need to make this their number one priority mm -hmm. and basically say, look, you know, we're not going to keep voting for you unless, you know, you fix the system that we vote in. <laughs> um, Yes, I, I think that this needs to be the number one priority in the state legislative sessions that are happening right now. Um, otherwise, again, we're not going to have elections for much longer. Donnie, uh, Donnie, Donnie, just real quick, I'd like to address uh, the policy recommendations from the other side, uh, like the other side here. Okay. Uh, a lot of the media says that the things that we recommend are voter suppression and they're racist. That is the furthest thing from the truth. And here is the, here is the best piece of evidence to support why these are actually not in any way tied to voter suppression. 
Georgia, after the 2020 general election, put into place some of the recommendations that that we talk about. They then had a runoff because their their senators, if you don't get 50 percent, you have to um, have a runoff election. The runoff took place weeks after the 2020 general election, actually months after. But and, and the, the new policies were in place. Guess what happened, especially in minority precinct? The amount of minority votes went up. It is preposterous, ludicrous, and absurd for people to say that this is meant to suppress the vote. If anything, this is meant to make sure that every single vote actually matters. I'm just so sick and tired of watching that CNN, MSNBC, and the rest of them say that Republicans want to prevent Black people from voting. That is a complete and utter lie. We want to make sure that every single vote that is cast is cast fairly. End of story. Yeah, I cannot right. make that point clearly enough. Yeah, there is a uh, a comment here from Stan, uh, Andy, the first one, a, a question here. Um, says, what can we do about getting past the fear of publicizing this? So, Jim, I mean, this this is a great question. I mean, like I said before, like the poll or the, the, the paper could be perfect. It could be all of this stuff, but it's not going to make an impact if everyone's too afraid to talk about it. So is there a, a way of kind of getting around this sort of stuff? I mean, I think you just have to, you know, <laughs> you have to have the courage to do it. I mean, how do you get past fear? You find courage. Uh, you need to talk about this with friends and family members. You need to... Uh, share stuff like this and share this report and this podcast on your Facebook page, on your X account. Um, tell people about it on Instagram. You know, you need to spread the word about it. If you have the courage, if you're not afraid of being canceled, and you know, a lot of people won't do this, you know, because they have too much to lose, right? I mean, we have something to lose. We could lose this channel. And this channel is very important to, to the Heartland Institute. It's the way we communicate uh, the principles and the policies that we've been advocating for 40 years at the Heartland Institute, this is one of the very important ways we spread that message of freedom to the world. Um, and we could lose this, but it's worth the risk. Uh, the publication that will not be named, but is prominent, you've heard of it, that uh, told Chris, and he wrote a fantastic op-ed about this. Um, you know, it would be great when that is published somewhere else to share that with family and friends. Um, the, the the publication that rejected it, they have a lot to lose. Um, a lot of these publications, the reason they reject this, and in fact, we had some problems getting some climate realism stuff posted on a couple of these uh, supposedly conservative outlets uh, not too long ago. They've loosened back up again. But, you know, th their business model is based on not getting nuked from space by the social media companies or even by, as as what happened to Parler, gosh, I almost forgot the name of that <laughs> that social media service, where they got their uh, they got their servers, um, you know, ripped up by uh, Amazon. They said, nope, we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna service you anymore. You're done. Um, and that happened like that. So a lot of people have something to lose. But I think if there's enough momentum, again, the the original poll results that were released in December allowed a lot of people to talk about this when it was absolutely um, forbidden to speak. You couldn't say anything that other than that the, the election was the most secure in history. And in fact, a lot of conservative outlets would just avoid the topic altogether. Figuring, you know, let's move on. We don't have to, re, you know, we don't want to relitigate the 2020 election. Uh, and in fact, myself, you know, um, I think Donald Trump should, ironically, Donald Trump should actually just get over the 2020 election, concentrate on 2024. Um, every minute he's looking back, um, he's not looking forward at his opponent. And that's, you know, politically, that's usually not a good idea. But, um, you know, <laughs> we I think we should talk about the 2020 election in the context of fixing our elections. And uh, as Jack pointed out, um, at the end of this report, there are a lot of excellent policy prescriptions to fix our elections. And the idea that, um, you know, it's you know, it's it's harder to write a check in a grocery store than it is to to, to vote. Right. And every single bad ballot, every single, every single, every single vote that is a cheat takes your vote away. You have to take it personally. You know, it's your, it's your vote got canceled out by somebody doing something fraudulent. And there's nothing more precious in a, in a free society than the franchise. And the fact that they can run elections better in, in post-war Iraq than we can in Michigan is ridiculous. And so, so you shouldn't be afraid to talk about that. 
And you right. might want to call up your state legislator and let them know about this report and ask them, what are you doing to make sure that our elections are better than post-war Iraq or El Salvador or somewhere else? This is the United States of America for crying out loud. How is it possible that our elections are this screwed up? Yeah, you know, you know, you know oh, sorry, Danny, just, just want to um, add something real quick. Uh, Janet Yellen was in front of Congress uh, the other day talking about uh, how banks are uh, tracking people's uh, terms like Cabela's, Bass Pro Shop, Trump, MAGA, you know, election fraud, I'm sure was probably one of those things. I absolutely understand why most Americans are probably afraid to even touch this topic because they're scared of the consequences, whether it's the FBI, you know, looking at into what they're doing or their bank, which is just insane when you think about that. But I just think that the American people have to understand that if we allow this to happen again in 2024, then we've lost the country. It doesn't I mean this this makes the, the broken border look like nothing to me, because if you can't trust an election, then nothing else matters. Yeah. Yeah. The, the craziest thing to me, uh, you know, and we like we walk through the results, you get down to four or five percent or whatever. It still swings uh, the election towards Biden. And it's because we often hear about these, you know, accusations of other election meddling, widespread schemes, ballot harvesting, whatever, right? All of those different things. And surely these things are all stuff that we should be concerned about and keep an eye out for. Um, it, but whenever you mention those sort of things in front of friends or family or anyone, it brings to life like this image of some sort of coordinated conspiracy to steal the election. Mm -hmm. And while I personally don't discount that possibility or anything like that, I, I think that there are a lot of people that will kind of write off that as just some crazy conspiracy theory, like, okay, you know, but the, one of the most important things about this paper that I think that the shows is that like a widespread coordinated effort to undermine the integrity of the election is not necessary to swing the election. If you just remove all the other potential factors, this report shows that an election could be swung simply by lax election laws, allowing for even a small percentage of voter fraud that can swing the election. And that should alone should be enough barring every other thing that you've seen in regards to this being a the most not secure election in the world or whatever should be enough to uh, 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 for you know state legislators to take these policies uh, uh, proposed policy prescriptions you know seriously and do something about it in the next election like it's 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 just like the simplest thing in the world you know lax election laws messed up the election boom don't need anything more than that and our report shows that very, very clearly. Well, uh, well but Donnie, just to, um, you know, in, in, include on that point, uh, most, I think most Americans, when they look back at 2020, they think, well, Joe Biden won pretty handily. He won the electric electoral college by 80 something. And he, you know, had met millions and millions more votes, but that doesn't matter because all that matters is he won the six swing States each by less than 20,000 votes. Right. So all it took is a tiny, actually a tiny effort in those six swing states to make sure, hey, let's really, you know, try to make sure that we get as many mail and ballots on behalf of Biden, in which case, remember, Biden had twice as many mail and ballots at the national level in those states. The percentages in some cases were even higher. It just come on. Common sense. Just like it, it just it does not pass the smell test. Jack, final questions or uh, sorry, final comments on this report. Anything that we missed? Any Anything that you want to highlight uh, before we? Stop talking about this report for the day. Yeah, I mean, just back to what I said about uh, policies moving forward. If we don't fix this based on, you know, based on what we found in this paper and in the poll, um, the our, our election system is broken. It is completely broken. And if we do not fix it, we can no longer consider, consider ourselves a democratic republic. We just can't. And so it is imperative that that citizens and and you know uh influence their legislators to fix this while they still have the opportunity to do so jim same meandering question <laughs> um as strange as this sounds i think we need to get back to what it was like in 2016. after the 2016 <laughs> election half this country was like oh my god how did that happen how did a reality TV star with no political experience at all become president of the United States? They couldn't believe it, but nobody thought that it was stolen. Well, 
there was this narrative going around that Russia somehow stole the election for Trump and manipulated ballot. There are people to this day who believe that Russia manipulated ballots in our in our elections. That was quite a <laughs> trick to pull off. But we, you know, but half this country were like, I cannot believe it. But nobody with an operating brain and without an agenda to push thought that that election was was there was something fishy about it. But the 2020 election was very, very different, again, because we threw out all of our election laws. We, we had a, a pretty normal operating election in 2016. That's what we need to get back to. This cannot be the new normal. And so, you know, if your candidate loses and you're kind of sad on election night, you, you should be able to at least feel in your heart that this was I lost fair and square. You know, my guy lost fair and square. Hillary lost because she ran a terrible campaign. Um, there wasn't any shenanigans going on. Um, that's the country we need to be. As, as divided as we are, and we are very divided, it is, as Chris said, it's it's a potential powder keg when you add the political divisions we have in this country to an election system that people can't trust. Um, if, if you don't think things can get bad in the streets, um, you know, <laughs> they can get bad. If those if, if that isn't fixed, if that toxic mix of uh, uh, of elements continues to fester in this country. It's it's going to be bad. And so, you know, your guy may lose, but you need to have uh, in, confidence in the integrity of the elections. And this report and our polls show that really nobody should have any confidence in the election. And that's bad. So we can fix it. So go out there and fix it. You know, we can't we can't run elections like this anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are going to do everything in our power to uh, uh, spread spread this the message of this report spread the report itself the takeaways from the report the potential solutions and all of that we're going to try to push that as far and wide as possible uh so don't think that we just like all right report's done sent out a press release and that's the end of it uh, we're going to continue to push that message out there and with your help hopefully more and more and more people see it and feel like they have to do something about it um lastly i do want to say that i was planning on doing a davos watch segment um but it was mostly just going to be a look forward to the upcoming world government summit which i think is my favorite named uh conference of the year <laughs> i mean Davos 2024 is one thing, but World Government Summit is, is another. So that's starting next week. So I'm going to be looking at that. The theme of this year's World Government Summit is as Orwellian as, as you could possibly imagine. It's shaping the future of governments. So can't wait. Actually, I think it's shaping. I, I think I wrote this wrong. Uh, down wrong. I think it's shaping governments of the future, which I think is actually worse. But we're going to look into it. We've covered this uh, this conference in the past. Klaus Schwab has said some really wild things during this conference. Talk about new world orders and all sorts of goofy stuff like that. So we're going to be paying attention to it. Hopefully next week we'll have some some information to convey to you all about the World Government Summit. So stay tuned for next week where we're going to be talking about that and more. But uh, gentlemen, uh, any any last words or anything you want to get off your chest before I wrap up the show officially? Hearing nothing, I will say thank you all for tuning into this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. If you're listening to the audio version, you're probably listening a day later on a Friday. Uh, for those that are doing that, leave a review for us on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. And feel free to join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time, where we are live streaming on Facebook and YouTube and X and Rumble. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the stream. Maybe we'll show your comment on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, you could support the show with that super chat functionality. And uh, you can also support the show by just spending a couple of seconds hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people if you'd like you can follow us on x at in the tank pod or you can send your comments suggestions or questions to the show by emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you at jay Lakely on x at heartland inst on x and always visit heartland.org and chris talgo what do you have to pitch today I would love if everyone went to Harlan.org, downloaded this report and actually write it because I think it will really open your eyes. Please do so. And then and then email to your friends and family. Perfect. Perfect. And Jack McFerrin, 
What uh, what do you got to say before we sign off for the day? Exact same thing as Chris. Go to heartland.org. It's the first thing you see when you go to the URL and send it to everybody you know. Fantastic. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. He's a lion dog-faced pony soldier.